Hey, good morning, Riverview. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Um, we'll get to that in uh, just a few minutes. Uh, if you want to, go ahead and put your finger in Matthew 13 uh, also, because we're going to actually launch out of Matthew 13 in just a few minutes. Um, thanks for coming uh, this morning. Let's just dive uh, straight into it. We don't want to waste any time. Let's pray. Uh, Father, Lord, uh, we are so uh, grateful to be in um, a community and a context of brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, people, too, who are trying to figure out uh, if they can trust you and uh, that they found uh, in this place a safe place where they can ask questions and they can explore and they can uh, see and follow where you might be leading them. And so um, we are a mixed bag uh, in this room this morning, and uh, we're going to ask the question, Lord, um, is a life invested in your kingdom, is it worth it? And so through your word and through our time together, would you just reveal to us that it is? <laughs> oh man, it's so worth it. I pray that you would uh, speak through me uh, this morning. I am available, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Uh, missionary Jim Elliott, he wrote these words in his journal seven years before he was killed in Ecuador. Uh, by the Aka Indians uh, that he was uh, desperately trying to reach for the cause of Christ. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And these are words that are often quoted uh, throughout different Christian groups or throughout different organizations all over the place to, get, to get, grab a hold of this idea, this passion, and what's truly valuable and, and important in life. And for Jim, these words kind of categorize the burning passion and what the treasure of his life actually was. So we're going to throw these words up here on the screen. Um, and these are, these are actually, uh, this is, go ahead one, one more time. So this is Jim. Uh, this is his journal entry from 1949. Um, and and, and I, I want you to see the words that actually precede the words that we often quote so often. Now, I don't know if you can see it there. We've got it kind of boxed in in red. It says, one of the greatest blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth. It's the Ephesian truth. See, Jim, he saw himself as a citizen heaven, as, as a citizen of heaven, and, and the best part of, of a heavenly citizenship was to live out that kingdom here on this earth, <clears throat> refusing to be satisfied by the things of this earth, and rather to be satisfied by living for something of a greater purpose, something bigger than yourself, to actually live out the kingdom that you are a part of here on this earth, to live as uh, under the rule and the reign of the king of heaven. So much so that he could say the very next words right underneath of that, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. <clears throat> See, Jim, he had given his entire life's work to mission. Uh, he was a missionary in Ecuador, and he spent uh, years of his life there uh, before, when he first landed in uh, Ecuador, he had to learn the language, and so he spent a year of his life learning the Spanish language. Uh, but on top of that one year, he spent additional time trying to learn the distinct dialects of, of the tribe, the, the Indian tribes that surrounded um, the area that he first landed in. And uh, he, he spent uh, three years as a missionary to a group of Indians called the Quichuas. And in that three years, there were several of them who were coming to faith in Jesus, and their lives had been transferred out of the kingdom of the darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. But as he was ministering to these Kichawas, there was a, a group uh, of native Indians that were called the Akas. And the Akas, they were a bad group of people, and, and they were killing off the, some of the Kichawas that he was actually investing and, 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 and spending uh, his life in, investing into. 
And, and so uh, these uh, Kichawas were, were dying off, and anybody who would get close to the village of the Akas, whether they worked close to the village or whether they were just traveling close to the village, they would end up, there was a high probability that they would lose their life. And so people were like, this killing has to stop. But everybody was afraid to go in to do anything about it. And so Jim himself, he said, like, I know what's got to be done. The only way that the killing in this village is going to stop is that these people come to know who Jesus is and the peace and the rule of his reign enters into their hearts. And for him, it was simple. I am a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, I have a call of God to go and help other people to become citizens of heaven too, right? That I'm to go and share the good news of the gospel with them so their lives might be completely turned upside down, even if that means I have to be uncomfortable, even if that means that there might be danger somewhere in my foreseeable future. And so what happened was he and four other missionaries, they began trying to uh, leave from the Kichwa tribe to go um, do ministry amongst the Akas, um, there in the area. And so they had a pilot, um, Nate uh, Saint, um, who would fly them into the area. And while they were there, they would drop supplies over the Aka Indians to let them know, hey, we are friendly. We, we, we want to know you. We want to get to know you. We are for you. We're not against you. And, and so they had a loudspeaker with them as well. And through the intercom system, they would try and as, bro- as broken of the language as they, they, they understood at that point, they would try the same thing. They would say, we are for you. We are not against you. We want to be friends with you. We want to spend time with you. And so they did this for months. And after a little while, they said, okay, now's the time. Now's the time. We've spent time. We've dropped supplies. Now's the time for us to go into the village and to see these people face to face. And so uh, Nate flew everybody in uh, one by one, that that little plane there. uh, He dropped them in. I don't know exactly how he dropped them in, but uh, one by one he dropped them in until he found a landing place there on the beach along the river, and he was able to land the plane there. Then all five men were were there ready to minister to uh, the Aka Indians. And it went great for, uh, for for just a little while. Um, they were there, they were waiting, and, and an Aka man, he came, and uh, they spent time with him, and there were two ladies who came along with him, and they had a meal together. Nate actually took one of them uh, up into the plane to let him know this is what a plane uh, looks like, and they had a fantastic kind of first meeting with them. And then uh, the, it got evening time, and those Indians had to go back to their tribe, and uh, Jim and uh, the rest of the crew, they were staying there. And so they watched these, uh, this man and these women leave, wondering w- would they come back. And so as they were getting ready to leave, they said, hey, please come back. And when you come back, bring the rest of your village, bring more people with you, because we want to get to know them. We want to be friendly with them as well. And of course, Jim, he wanted them to know who Jesus was. And so they waited. And for, for two days, they didn't hear anything. They're sitting there just waiting. Is God, is God going to do anything? Are people going to come back? And so, um, you know, at, at the point where you're beginning to wonder, is, is anything going to happen here? All of a sudden, two ladies came out of the jungle. And you can imagine the excitement of, of, of the men there so that they get to share the gospel with somebody. And so they start to run to them in, in sheer excitement. But what they didn't know was that they were in the midst of an ambush. So they, they ran to the women. And as their backs were turned to this direction, they heard what was like a war cry. And uh, with the war cry, they turned around and the Aka Indians, the warriors were there with spears ready to take their life. And all five men lost their life there on that riverbank um, that day. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so the question for us, was the investment of their lives into the kingdom, was it worth it? 
Was the investment of their lives in the kingdom, was, was it worth it? It's a, it's a question that we often ask ourselves uh, because if, if we truly invest in the kingdom of God, our lives are going to they're going to look radically different than they've ever looked before, before we came, became citizens of heaven, we became part of the family of God. It, it is, we're going to ask the questions of ourselves. If I'm going to invest my time and, and, my, and my energy and my effort and all of my life into this, I want to know, is it going to be worth it? Is it going to happen? Well, why do I tell the story? Well, we're in the book of Philippians, right? We're in our series in Philippians, <clears throat> and, and, we're, and we're talking about living in light of eternity. And we've been looking at how Paul, who's calling the Philippians uh, to live in this big picture mindset, with this big picture mindset, that in Christ, that God has taken us out of the kingdom of darkness— this kingdom that's ruled and reigned by the, by the, by the, by the prince of this world, right? By Satan. And, and in this world, uh, there's, this, uh, there's this ethic system and there's these values that, that, are, um, that, that set up what this kingdom looks like. And you've been taken out of that kingdom and you've been transferred into this other kingdom. This kingdom over here, it says, find your joy, find your happiness, find your satisfaction, find everything that you consider valuable in the things of this earth. But you've been taken out of that and you've been placed into this new kingdom. And in this new kingdom, it's, it's ruled and reigned under the, king, uh, under the rule and the reign of Christ. And in this kingdom, it's got new values and it's got new ethics that typically stand in complete contrast to the kingdom of this earth. And it really causes us to, to look radically different than what we ever did before. Because in our hearts, our hearts echo the same words of Jim. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And as people who've been transferred from one kingdom to another, we've been brought into the family of God, making us heirs along with Christ. And as heirs, we've been given what we talked about, this dual citizenship, that we're not just citizens of this world, that we are citizens of heaven too. Paul talks about it in Philippians 3. And as citizens of heaven, our whole world, our, our whole world focus, our whole life is intended to, to shift. It's intended to look different. The things that used to bring us joy and the things that used to bring us satisfaction, that they're now filtered through a, a kingdom grid. They're filtered through uh, the, this light of eternity, and it causes us to ask the question, is this going to be worth it? Is what I'm investing my time and my effort and my energy and is what I'm investing my entire life in, is it going to be worth it? And, and so last week what we did is we looked at how Paul was encouraging this church to grow and to grow up into maturity. And part of growing up into maturity is understanding that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, right? We're part of something bigger than ourselves. And as citizens of the kingdom, we are representatives of the king of heaven on this earth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, he says that we are ambassadors for Christ, right? That God is making his appeal through us, that we are ambassadors. And as his ambassadors, we are representatives, and we carry out the desires and the heart of the king. And I was just standing back here just a few minutes ago, and I was thinking about this. This is an illustration that I just thought about. I was standing back there. So if it doesn't work, it was, spont it was spontaneous, okay? So, so think about it this, being transferred from one kingdom to the next. Right, we're getting uh, probably three-quarters of you in this room are, are waiting for two o'clock or 205, because there's a kickoff that's going to happen. It's going to be the Chiefs, right? It's happening. And now think about the, 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 the transfer of kingdoms. It, it, it's like um, having a Raiders jersey on. Now, Jackson, would you ever wear a Raiders jersey? No. Not on your deathbed or a Broncos jersey, right? Like, ha like having this Broncos jersey on, and then somebody comes and says, hey, let me tell you about something better. 
Let me tell you, like, don't live your life for this mess, right? Let's take that jersey off and let's bring you over into a new kingdom and you put on the Chiefs jersey, right? And now, as a Chiefs jersey wearer, as somebody who is now a part of that kingdom, you start representing that kingdom. If you were to start living under the Raiders' kingdom, if you were to keep living under the Broncos' kingdom, there would be an issue, right? You're not representing the kingdom of the chiefs very well. This is the same thing that is happening here. Like they've been transferred from one kingdom. They've, been t- they've taken their old jersey off. They put on a new jersey. Hopefully that worked, right? Maybe, maybe it worked. They, they put on this uh, new jersey. And as um, representatives of the king, as ambassadors and representatives, they are to represent the desire and the heart of the king. Then the desire and the heart of King Jesus is that the world would know not only that there is a kingdom that he is the rule and reign of, but that the whole world would then bow their knee to this king. And they would experience his love and they would experience his grace as well. And so what happens is we become proclaimers of the kingdom Wherever we go, no matter what the circumstances are, wherever we show up, the atmosphere in the room that we show up in should change. The atmosphere in the, in the environment that we walk into should change, no matter what that environment is, because we're not only representatives of this earth, but we're representatives of a king who has a desire for the people that, his, that, that live in this world. So wherever we show up, the atmosphere changes, and we show out, and we shout out, and, the repre- and we represent the kingdom. But the question is, is representing the kingdom well, is that even on our radar? Is representing the kingdom well, do we ev- is it, does it even register on our radar as something that's important? How I live, am I supposed to live as somebody who's wearing the old jersey? Do I, wear, do I live as somebody who's wearing the new jersey? Do I live as somebody in the old kingdom, or do I live as somebody? And does it matter if I live well in this new kingdom or not. I've been reading in Matthew here recently, and I've just been mesmerized uh, by how Jesus talks about the kingdom. He talks about the kingdom of heaven over and over and over again, and what it looks like to live within the kingdom. And in Matthew 13, um, Jesus says again and again, the kingdom is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he gives these parables and these images of what the kingdom looks like and what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of the kingdom. And as I was reading this week, this is what stood out to me. Um, usually when, when Jesus is saying something or anybody says something over and over and over again, like it, it raises to a level of importance, says, hey, pay attention to this. And so uh, in Matthew 13, 31 through 32, here's what he says. He says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now I want you to think about the, the mustard seed for, for just a second, right? The mustard seed in the culture was the smallest seed that they had. It was about two millimeters. It is still about two millimeters in size. And that's a tiny little seed. And if you were to see it, right, and, and not know what it was, you'd be like, this is something that, that's insignificant. This can never amount to anything big. It's just too small to amount to anything that's big. But yet the mustard seed when it's been planted in a garden, it didn't just grow, it became a tree, and it becomes the largest tree within the garden. The, the mustard seed, it can grow up from this two little millimeter seed. It can grow up within the first year of its life. It can grow up to be nine feet tall with branches that stretch out and, and, and reach pretty far. And, and, and so what happens is what Jesus is saying here was that the kingdom of heaven, it starts out small, and, and then it gets planted into the ground but it doesn't stay small. And you know why it doesn't stay small? It doesn't stay small because it begins to grow up. And when it grows up, its branches begin to stretch out. And when those branches stretch out, guess what happens? 
Jesus says, as the branches stretch out, the birds of the air begin to find their place to, to nest. The birds of the air find within its branches a place to, to grow. The birds find a place of, of safety. And as the tree grows healthy, the birds of the air, they find this place of refuge. This says, I can find my home there. I can go there and I, and I can build a nest and I can have my babies there. I can find protection from the elements there. I can find protection from the world there. I can find a place to grow and develop there. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's given us a picture of, of how the kingdom grows. See, we, we grow up, we become healthy, and as we become healthy, our branches begin to grow. And as our branches begin to grow, we invest our life into the kingdom. And as we invest our life into the kingdom, it becomes a place that points people to the shelter and the refuge of Jesus and his kingdom. You see, where we show up, the atmosphere changes, or the atmosphere should be changing. And, and, and our lives shout out, and they represent the kingdom. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. And when we become ambassadors of the kingdom and we represent the kingdom well, the kingdom begins to grow. And this is what Paul is doing in Philippians, right? Paul is saying, Paul is showing that I'm a mustard tree that's been planted. I'm a seed that's been planted, grown into a mustard tree, and my branches are, are going out. I've invested my life into the kingdom of God, and the branches have gone out, and now that others are able to come and take refuge, and they're able to find life in Jesus. He's showing up, and he's shouting out as an ambassador and a representative of the kingdom, and he's saying that the thing that matters most, regardless of what your circumstances might be, regardless of what you might be going through, the thing that matters most, the kingdom that we live for and the kingdom that we proclaim, at the end of the day, it's worth it. And a life invested in the kingdom, it's going to have ripple effects that reach beyond your life. Even you sitting in the seat right now, the chairs that you're sitting in, your life, how you invest it is going to have ripple effects that go way beyond you and way beyond you in this life, and way beyond you after you're dead and gone, right? You have 60, 70, 80, maybe 100 years, Lord willing, that you have to invest your life. And as you invest your life, it's going to have ripple effects that reach beyond your life. And Paul is talking about a life that has ripple effects beyond his life. And he's, re he's reaching uh, and writing out to the Philippians here, who could have very easily been bent out of shape on, on the fact that he's in prison, right? And, and people who would say like, whoa, this is what happens when you follow Jesus? No way. You follow Jesus and you go to jail? Not for me. You follow Jesus and you get beaten? No, not for me. You follow Jesus and, I, and, and you lose your friends? No, that's not for me. You follow Jesus and fill in the blank of whatever that level of discomfort and that level of persecution that you just say, there is no way that I would go through that. Just fill in the blank here. See, it's very easy to look at Paul's scenario and to look at the scenario that we looked at with Jim Elliott, right? And to look at their scenarios and, and to say, if that's what life is going to look like, if that's what being an ambassador and a representative of the king and his kingdom, if that's what it's going to look like, you can have it because I don't want anything to do with it. But, but I, I want you to see what Paul says here, how he puts his circumstances in the big picture. He puts it into perspective for us, and he answers the question, right? If, is life invested in the kingdom, is it going to be worth it? Look at verse 12. It says, I, in, we're, back, we're in Philippians now, chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers— What's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Let's make a couple quick observations here. Like, we're trying to answer the question, right? Is investing your life in the kingdom, is it going to be worth it? What Paul's saying here is like, hey guys, I don't want you to get caught up on my circumstances. I don't want you to look at my life and say, whoa, what he's going through, like I can't believe that he's suffering. I can't believe that he's going. He says, don't get caught up in my circumstances because if you look at just my circumstances, then you're going to start boo-hooing and crying around for me. And then you're going to think that somehow I'm in here in prison and I'm boo-hooing and I'm crying about my situation too. Then the conclusion that you're going to come up with, if you're trying to answer the question, is investing my life in the kingdom worth it? You're going to say, well, well, I'm, you're crying for me, and he's in there crying, and the conclusion that you're going to have is like, no, it's not worth it because nobody wants to go through that stuff. Like, nobody wants to have their life put on halt, never knowing when you're going to get out and be able to get back to normal life again. It's, it's, so he's saying, if you look at my circumstances, the conclusion that you're going to come to is, no way, it's not worth it all. It's especially if you know what Paul's already been through, right? You, you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 16, and you read through there, and you're like, holy smokes, like, th like this is a list that you never want to attach your name to. And Paul's been through the ringer, and he's going to go through the ringer. You'd be amazed at all he goes through. And this little stint that he has in Rome right now while he's kind of locked up on house arrest in prison here, this is like a walk in the park compared to everything that he's been through and everything that he's actually going to go through. And if we we're to look at his circumstances, and if the, the Philippians were to look at him circumstances, his circumstances. Anybody else would be looking at his circumstances. You would see like, Paul, you are a fool to keep going. You're a fool to keep proclaiming this Christ. Like, you've lost your mind. But Paul is saying, guys, don't get caught up in the focusing on what's going on. Don't get focused on my circumstances. Look at what God is doing because of my circumstances. Look at what God is doing because I'm here. Because I'm in prison right now, the gospel is advancing, he says. The gospel is going forward. If I weren't in the situation I'm in right now, maybe the gospel doesn't go forward the way that it is. And the word that he uses here for advance is this word, uh, prokopane. And prokopane is, is a picture of a, it's a, uh, it's a blazing trail. It's, it's blazing a trail out in front of an army. It's kind of setting the way, setting the course of which the army is going to, to follow. It's the, it's the idea and the picture of progressing and taking ground on wisdom. It's progressing and taking ground in ministry. Um, if we were to go back to our, our kind of football analogy with the jerseys, right, it's, uh, it's uh, going from one end zone to the other end zone with a defense that's standing against you, and, and, you're, and you're taking ground, and you're taking ground, and you're moving the ball down the field, and you never are tackled for a loss. Like you just continue to take ground. This is what Prokopi means. He says the gospel is advancing. It's moving forward. And, and we got to know the gospel that he's talking about, right? Like what's giving him this confidence? The gospel that Paul is talking about that's moving forward is that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross, but he didn't stay dead, right? He was buried uh, uh, three days later and, and he died to, for, for our sin, right? He died to take away the stain of sin and he died away to take the punishment for sin. I love the fact that we just sang a song that Jesus paid it all. Like in his blood, we are covered. He is done. He's taken, he's taken not only the sin away, but he's taken the punishment and the stain uh, of sin away so that we are washed clean. Like that's part of the gospel. But he doesn't stay dead and buried. Three days later, he comes back and he ascends to heaven. And right now he's seated next to the Father and he's assuming the proper role of the king of the kingdom. And as the king of the kingdom, he's promised that one day there's going to be a day that I come back. I'm going to come again. And as we wait, we're offered the opportunity to not waste our lives. As we wait for him to come back, we have the opportunity to not waste 
our lives, but to live under his rule and his reign and to live for something that's bigger than us, to invest our lives in something that's not going to end today or tomorrow or maybe 60 years or God willing, 100 years later, but to live and invest our lives in something that is never going to have an end, a kingdom that doesn't have walls, a kingdom that doesn't have barriers, a kingdom that cannot be stopped, to invest in something like this. This is the gospel that Paul says is advancing and it's giving him boldness and it's giving the brothers and sisters that he's going to talk about in just a second, it's giving them, giving them boldness. And so what Paul says is, don't focus in on my circumstances. Focus on the fact that people are hearing that they don't have to waste their life. Focus on the fact that there is freedom to be found in Jesus. Focus on the fact that there is a place in his family. There is room at the table for the people that get to hear the gospel. So Paul says the gospel is advancing. Uh, I did a little research this, uh, this week, and uh, one commentary that I, I read said that the, the totality of uh, the imperial guard or um, the uh, praetorian guard, um, the, this, Ro- this Roman entity that Paul is talking about here, was somewhere in the realm of 9,000 people. <laughs> 9,000 people that Paul is getting to minister. Now think about this. Paul says, guys, relax. Like, like I'm in prison. I get it. I know it doesn't look very good at all. But 9,000 Roman troops, guards, imperials, leaders, 9,000 pagans who could have cared less about Jesus yesterday, they're now hearing that I'm in jail because of Jesus, that I am in chains and I am locked up because of Jesus. And they're getting to hear the gospel message of Jesus and the gospel is taking ground. The kingdom is growing. Paul is saying, I am a mustard tree that's been planted whose branches have grown out and have become a place of refuge so that people might find and take refuge in Jesus. And so if we were to ask Paul the question, is it worth it? Is investing your life worth it? He would say, yes, unequivocally, without question, it is worth investing your life. There is nothing more important to do with your life than to invest it for the kingdom. And the question again for us is, do we believe that? Is that even register on our radar as something as a like to live as an ambassador of the kingdom, to, to live and invest our life for the things that really matter? And do we live as ambassadors of this kingdom? Do we live as representatives of this king? Paul says it's not just that the gospel is advancing amongst the guards. The whole guard has heard it. And there are other people who have heard it too, he says. There are ripple effects that are going out because he's investing his life. And on top of that, verse 14, he says, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's saying, here's what's happening. The the gospel is advancing. The guard has heard it. This is the big picture view. You can throw throw that up there. The big picture view here is that the gospel is advancing. The, the, The guards have heard it. There are other people who have heard the gospel too that's got ripple effects that are going out. And then the brothers and the sisters who are in Christ are now becoming more bold as well. Now, I, I want you to help me with this, right? Because for some reason, I can't get my mind around this at all. Um, typically, like if you hear about pain and adversity, you hear about turmoil, you hear about something that, that's going to cause some, some, uh, uh, some, just some difficulty in your life, we're not usually like, hey, sign me up for that, Right? Like, like, give me more of that. Like, you know, things have been like a little bit too easy in my life. And, and so like, if you could just throw a couple wrinkles in there, like if you could throw some more hard days in there, if you, if you can throw a, 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 um, a, um, a deployment in there, 
If you could throw a job loss in there, if you could throw somebody in there who's like pushing against my faith, like that would be great. Like usually we don't sign up for that kind of stuff. Like if somebody says, hey, if you go down this direction, it's going to be hard. We're like, okay, thank you. And then we turn around and we go this direction. Like that, that's, we don't usually sign up for, for more pain. See, persecution and adversity, it can have two radically different effects on, on a person. First, it can shut you down in fear. You, you see the scenario and you say, I see the injustice, I see what's going on over there, but I don't want anything to do with that because I like the way things are going right now in my life, things are going smooth, and I don't want any additional pain. I don't want, like, I see it, I know it, but I'm just, no, it causes fear and we say, I'm gonna stay away from it. Or a radically different idea is that it can cause us to move towards that we could be fired up with, with more boldness. We can run in fear or we could be fired up. We could see the injustice. We can say, man, this is not gonna happen on my watch. Like there are, I'm gonna be some agent of change in what's going on around me. So I can run in fear or I can run and be fired up with more boldness. And what Paul is saying is that when the brothers and sisters around him had heard the gospel and they saw that he was in prison and he was being mistreated just simply for the fact that he was a Christian, they had two choices. They could shut up and run away or they could show up, let the atmosphere change around them and they could shout out as representatives of the kingdom. And what happened was they definitely didn't shut up, right? The persecution emboldened them to start living in light of something that was bigger than themselves. To start becoming ambassadors and representatives of the king and investing their life into the kingdom, a kingdom that has no end. What happened was that they became mustard trees whose branches were beginning to spread out and they were becoming refuge for others that were pointing people to Jesus. Through Paul and through the boldness of these brothers and sisters, the gospel continues to grow. The kingdom continues to go. And so the brothers and sisters who saw Paul in prison, the answer to the question that they had was, is investing your life worth it, even if the circumstances may not be what you would desire, even if the circumstances may be crappy in whatever way that you, you could consider, the answer that they would give would be absolutely it's worth it, because the gospel is advancing. The kingdom is growing. People are finding refuge in the branches of the kingdom. I want you to Think back with me real quick to, to Jim Elliott, right? He wrote, one of the greatest blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth. He wanted so badly for his life to be lived as an ambassador and a representative of the kingdom, so much so that the circumstances in his life didn't matter. He, he actually never thought that he would have a long life. In, in, in most of his writings, he knew that, hey, the, I'm going to burn out for the Lord in a positive way. I'm, I'm going to go out, and I'm not going to hold anything back, whether the circumstances would be great or not. I'm going to live my life fully for the kingdom, and that just might mean that my life is going to be shortened as a result. But the kingdom and Jesus, they were his treasure, and they were his passion. And so he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And we know already that he ended up losing his life. But the investment in the kingdom had ripple effects beyond his life that are continuing even on today. Now, you would think that the death that he, that he died, this brutal death would cause um, anger, bitterness, disdain for the Aka people that took his life, right? But when news uh, got back um, to the States and when news spread around, um, it had the exact opposite effect. Um, there was a band of... Uh, of um, uh, of students at Wheaton College, when they heard the news, instead of running in fear, 
They said, man, sign me up for that. Like, let me go. Sign me up to be a missionary. Let me invest my life in something that's bigger than myself. And so some of them ended up in Ecuador, and some of them ended up in other places around the world, but they didn't shrink in fear. They said, sign me up. Let me go. Let me be a part. And then the other thing that happens as a result of this is, is, is something I just can't get, I can't understand, other than the grace of God, is the way that his wife, Elizabeth, uh, interacted after this, or the way that she reacted. Now, you would think that the people who took your husband's life you would want to wipe them all out, like, hey, let's bring the armies in, and, and, let, and let's just, like, whatever we need to do, to, like, to take care of this. But, but instead of doing that, what she did was the exact opposite. That night that uh, she was expecting to hear back from her husband and hear from the other missionaries, they, they had a radio system back and forth so they could hear the report of what was going on. Every night she was hearing, you know, the update, and hey, they, like, it's been two days, we haven't seen him. I wonder if we're going to see him. And then that night that they died, she didn't hear anything. And in her heart, she already knew what had happened, right? And so she's waiting to hear, and she, and she doesn't hear. And then uh, a little bit later, the, I think the military gets involved, and they fly a plane over, and they, and they see the carnage of what's taken place. All these men have lost their lives. And so the worst is, is, is seen uh, by her. And instead of running and hiding, she ended up reaching out to the Akas, the men and the women who had taken her husband's life, so that they might know the love of Jesus. She was using her life and investing her life, trying to advance the gospel. And what happens is within two years uh, of, of Jim's life, uh, of, of those men uh, losing their life, within two years, Elizabeth, their, their daughter, I think her name was Valerie, um, Nate Saint's uh, wife, the pilot's wife, uh, and some others um, were living amongst the Aka people. And they had become, and several of them had come to know who Jesus was. Their lives transformed, taken out of the kingdom of darkness, placed into the kingdom of life because they had invested their life so deeply and so well that their life wasn't their own. It, it, it just wasn't. And so if you were to ask the Aka people, is it worth it? Is it worth it to invest your life for the kingdom for their sake? They would say, absolutely it was. Absolutely it's worth giving everything for this kingdom. And so I want to ask you, like, how many of us would have counted the cost in that moment? Like, just Jim's life would count the cost and say, I'm going to go into that area. I'm going to go knowing that my life may be gone. And then take it even a, a step further. If you were Elizabeth, how many of us would have said, I care more about the gospel than my own life and the loss of my husband. I care more about advancing the gospel not, not, not that this earthly circumstances that we're in, that, not that they don't matter, right? Because they're hurt and, they have, and, and there's pain. But I want to be a mustard seed that gets planted, whose branches stretch out and grow so that others might find refuge in Jesus, that she would be willing to say, I will invest my life into that. I will invest my life so that people can find refuge in him. Would we be able to, to say that we would do that? See, how many of us see the circumstances that we're in, the hardships that we face, how many of us see that as an opportunity to advance the gospel and not as an opportunity to complain? Not as an opportunity to say, man, my life is terrible. Man, I can't believe that. Or there's no way I would do that because of this or because, because of this. How many see the thing that we're in, the thing that we're going through, not as this deterrent away from sharing the gospel and that people might know who Jesus is, but it brings us to the opportunity to advance the gospel. You see, when we settle for living and building our little kingdom here, we'd never do that. Like we'd never say, man, here I am, send me kind of stuff, right? 
uh, we've invested in, um, we've planted a seed in uh, Pastor Prashant, um, who is serving amongst uh, people in, in India right now, a brand new area that ne- had never heard and been reached for the gospel of Jesus. And he is be- beginning to grow. I-, I got word from, from Joseph, who was here uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, we, were, we got to share this with uh, the, the staff and the elders here recently, and I want to share it with you too. Um, he is a, he's a seed that's been planted, and he's growing, and his branches are going out, and because of him, people are finding refuge in Jesus. Uh, in December, uh, they, do, uh, gospel, they do gospel month, and Prashant, he's a young man, uh, got a young wife, got a young kid um, who has said, you know, my life isn't my own. I'm going to invest my life for the kingdom. Like, I'm not going to count it. I'm going I'm to count the cost, and the cost is I'm going. And so he's in a group of people where there's witchcraft and there's anger and there's bitterness and there's uh, following of, of different gods. And he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to teach Christ there. And so he's been uh, being faithful there. And then during gospel month, they come in and they do a, a big production. They share the gospel with people. And during, and during, uh, uh, during that month in his little village, uh, listen, listen to this. This just blows my mind, right? This is o- only God kind of stuff. Uh, the, the gospel is presented and 75 people came to Christ. Uh, during, during last month in, in December, 75 people who had never given their, who had never even heard about Jesus said, I want that because there was somebody who was willing to, to put their seed in the ground and allow it to grow and to become a branch so that others might find life. In. And, and so I want to ask you, I mean, how would you answer the question? Is investing your life for the kingdom worth it? There are people around you who would say, absolutely, it's worth it. What are you waiting on? Would you pray with me? Father, thanks that your word doesn't return void. Thank you uh, for Jesus' words in Matthew. Thank you for your words through Paul in Philippians. Thank you that in spite of us, your gospel continues to go forward, that you are advancing and that you are taking ground. And it's amazing to see how persecution drives the gospel even deeper. We see it in Iran. We see it in China. The, the harder that the gospel gets pressed, the more it grows. And so, Father, I pray that as people in this room right now, that we would see the circumstances of our life, and we would see the circumstances uh, of what it looks like to follow Jesus and invest our life, and we wouldn't shy away but that we would allow the circumstances of our life for us to walk in and to just to change the atmosphere, to be representatives that point people to Jesus. Lord, let us plan our life, invest it well. A life invested in the kingdom, Lord, you know is a life well invested. And so let us make an investment that's gonna, that's gonna have ripple effects into eternity, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.